1: This is a very, very special edition of the Unplayable Podcast brought to you by Mastercard. On this episode, we celebrate the 50th birthday of the one and only Shane Warne. Sit back and hear some classic stories and insights about the King of Spin from legends Glenn McGrath, Mike Atherton, Mike Hussey, Ian Healy, Nasser Hussain, and Ricky Ponting before we finish with the man himself, Shane Keith Warne. Enjoy.
2: He's gone. Yes, Warren takes on the second breath. That's well bowled. That's 200 test wickets. A wonderful moment for Glenn McGrath.
1: Glenn McGrath, Shane Warne's turning 50.
3: Yeah, we're all getting close to 50 and when few of your teammates have already got there, it makes you feel old. But uh, I don't know, Warne, one of those cricketers. Uh, there's only one other guy, maybe Freddie Flintoff, but Warne, looks younger and fitter since he's retired. So he's <laughs> amazing, isn't he?
1: What are your first impressions of Shane Warne?
3: Um, well, I think back to sort of, I made my debut November 93, Shane made his the year before and, uh, yeah, he was blonde leg spinner, very extrovert, just, uh, loved the attention, the limelight and, yeah, you it know, was bigger. Yeah, you know, it was huge. So yeah, yeah, you know, I was pretty shy country boy, a bit of the opposite and, uh, um, yeah, no, I, I just came to that Australian team was loving every second of it and to think that there were some amazing players there and one of the greatest of all time in, in Shane Warne was pretty special.
2: In the air and he's got him. Yes, Shane Warne this time. I don't think it was as clean as a whistle, but he got it.
1: Maybe Australia's best partnership of all time is Warner McGrath. What was it like for you being part of that?
3: Oh, it was brilliant. You know, Warne at the other end, it's all about, you know, building building pressure and Warney had such great control and such great variety um, that he could really build pressure from the other end, and I tried to do the same. And so I think in turn we, we could create a lot of pressure on the batsmen. There was no easy runs. I think between us, in the matches we played together, we took over a 1,000 uh, test wickets and probably won the uh, majority of the games that uh, were lucky enough to play together. And so, yeah, Warnie at the other end was, was absolutely incredible. And you know, I, always, I used to love the start of every season. Yeah, Shane had come up with a, a new ball, new delivery, a mystery ball. And uh, I'm not sure how many times he came up with a mystery ball. It was just <laughs> one of his old balls that he reinvented slightly. So, uh, But yeah, he, was, he was a character larger than life. And um, yeah, to have him at the other end my whole career was, was absolutely brilliant. And one of the reasons why the Australian team was so dominant in that that uh, era you know, was because of Warnie.
1: Now you wouldn't have seen too many low lights with Shane Warne in his career, but '99, uh, the whacker, you were out there at the other end, weren't you?
2: Glenn McGrath coming in in his usual batting position, at number eleven. Once again, comes in a situation where his batting partner, this
3: time at Shane Warden, needs him badly. I've only ever really been nervous twice in my career, I reckon, when I played. One of them was the World Cup semi-final. Uh, bowling to Lance Klusner when it was right down the wire. Uh, that match ended in a tie, incredible match. The other time was batting with Shane Warne at, uh, at the WACA against New Zealand. Uh, Warne was in the 80s and, and Shane I never got a, a Test 100. And at that stage, I went out there and I think I faced a few balls and I was actually quite nervous because I thought if I get out on Warne here, <laughs> he may never talk to me again. <laughs> and so Warne sort of... Uh, you know, he'd been hitting him pretty well, and he knew that oh, I was his you know, one more wicket, it's all over. So he had to score the runs quickly, and you know, he went out, he played a few shots, a couple of cut shots, That's and really shot. hit him Beautiful out of the middle, time. and quickly went into the 90s, through the 90s, and he was a 99, facing Dan Vittori. Taking quick single.
2: Well, a direct hit might have been interesting, but Shane won't survive and moves to 99.
1: What's the mid pitch chat between you two at this stage?
3: Yeah, Warnie was just, you know, saying that he had confidence in me. You know, just just keep watching the ball. Just uh yeah, you know, keep it out. Yep. And, and he'll do the scoring. And, <laughs> yeah. and that was fine with me. Don't get out, Glenn. I oh, know, I was telling myself, don't get out. I was so nervous. And and then, you know, Dan Vittori's about to run in a bowl. I look around the field and I'm thinking, there's no one just behind square on the leg side. Little lap sweep. Yeah, you know, it would have been perfect. Could have brought up his hundred but I didn't go down and tell him because I thought, yeah, Warnie's not going to take batting advice off me and nor should he, but as, uh, as history shows, Dan came in, tossed it up. Warney said he was just trying to chip it over the midfield, uh, over the infield and get a single, but got to the pitch of the ball, bit of a rush of blood.
2: Goes for it. There's a man out there, who's getting under it. And he's got it. And Shane Warne, tragically. Finishes on
3: 99. Now, he was pretty shattered. And I was really disappointed for him because he definitely deserved 100. He got some, I think he got a couple of 86s. You know, he was in the 90s that day. And to walk off with 99 runs was, it was disappointing. And, and uh, I think a few years later, Channel 9 showed that that ball might have been uh, a no ball by two <laughs> or three inches. So shame <laughs> they don't have the DRS or the umpires referred it. But that was one of the, the rare times that I was nervous Yep. out in the middle. I uh, just uh, wanted, wanted Warney to get his 100. Uh, unfortunately, that day, he just fell one shot. Oh, Spearer thought that Shane Warnie's played brilliantly.
1: What about off the field? What was Warney like as a teammate in the sheds? I mean, you're, you're known as a bit of a prankster, but what was Shane Warnie like?
3: Yeah, no, no, Warney was good, um, Yeah, you know, He's a little bit different from the rest of the team. You know, I think we, yeah, Warney was, was here, yeah. And we were, as a team, was a little bit lower, so we accepted that. I think Shane accepted that. And we got on, we got on nicely. So, but yeah, no, Warney enjoyed being the centre of attention, which allowed the rest of us just to go about things quietly. Um, but yeah, you know, he was there was never a dull moment. Like I said, he loves his golf. Um, yeah, he he enjoys the odd beer here and there, or so he says. Yeah. <laughs> and there was one time up in Brisbane where uh, where Jason Gillespie and myself were off. You know, I don't know if we had some media or something to do and and a couple of uh, legend AFL players come in. I don't know my AFL too well and Warney uh, invited him into the room and he was down there having a beer with them and and I remember Dizzy coming back and I heard Dizzy afterwards walk in and go, Warney, what are you doing? And he's having a beer and uh, and go, what are you doing having a beer? You never... Oh. Dude's so I always have a beer after a day's play. <laughs> and then uh then I come back and uh I think they worded me up a little bit too. So when I come in I'd go, Oh, Shano, what do you mate, you having a beer? And he goes, Oh bitch, I always have a beer at the end of a day's play and then every bowling day for for the rest of the season when uh, we came off the field, we made sure Jason uh, Dizzy and myself put a beer on his seat. <laughs> and uh, <laughs> the first, I think, the first five or six times he saw the funny side of it, he has got up Dizzy or pitch. And uh, but yeah, you yeah, he just he, he was uh, yeah larger than life. Like I said, he was it was good value. Whatever Warney did was bigger and better than the rest of us, and, and we were more than happy with that. The media loved him. Uh, that you know, he used to be followed around by the paparazzi. Just everything he did was, you know, huge news. And didn't matter what how much trouble he got himself off the field, he came back bigger and better on the field and I can't think of anyone who could do that. Um, and for what he did, the amount of overs he bowled, the cricket he played, you think on the diet that he had was incredible how he did it. Um, what, know, he loved what, his What was he eating? Was sort of consistent. Toasted cheese sandwich, margarita pizzas and spaghetti bolognese. That was it pretty much. And you know, we used to have team dinners at certain restaurants and what have you and you know, occasionally at a Japanese restaurant or uh, another restaurant, he'd have a pizza delivered. So, but uh, no, he was he was incredible. You know how he? I think the test proved that he would never be successful as an international cricketer. Uh, but it's yeah, it's all you know upstairs. You know, yep. good players got the skill. A great player's got the mental strength, mental uh, capacity to uh, deal with anything. And, and Shano had that, and that's what made him one of the greatest of all time. Happy birthday, Warnie. Yeah, happy birthday, mate. Happy 50th. I'm still in my 40s, but uh, it won't be long before I'm there. But, mate, have a great day.
2: Ah! Oh, wow. Just done him. That was a magnificent delivery. It beat Atherton all ends up.
1: Mike Atherton, 22 tests against Australia with Shane Warne in the side. What was it like facing him?
4: Well, first of all, I did well to get through to Shane Warne. Normally, Glenn McGrath, my number, uh, all too quickly. But I obviously, I faced a lot of him. Uh, champion bowler. We're here at Old Trafford talking. And, of course, that was the first time that we saw him, that I saw him. Um, I remember that test match all too well because it had hammered down in the days prior to the game. And everybody was saying, they're not going to play a leg spinner. The pitch is wet. They're going to play a finger spinner. Tim May, there's no way they'll play Shane Warne because Graham Hick had annihilated him in that warm-up game at Worcester. And then, of course, he came on. And I was, I was actually out. Uh, I was sitting in the changing room. I think Merv Hughes had got out to Merv Hughes. And then he came on, Shane Warne, and that first ball to Gat. Um, and everybody kind of thought, aye, aye, who is this bloke? Um... And it it didn't get much better for us after that, actually. He kind of started as he meant to carry on.
5: What
1: was it like facing the really young Shane Warne, the blonde hair, the zinc? He was a bit (laughs) bit slimmer back then too, wasn't he?
4: A little bit, yeah. Um, You felt, even right from the start, he was obviously a young player, but you felt that he had a sense of the stage, that he wanted to own the stage and a great sense of theatre and drama. Um, And we saw a lot of him that summer because he and Tim May really owned the summer Um, You know, it's quite a dry summer after that first game here at Old Trafford. Pitches were very dry. May and Warren bowled together a a lot, so we saw a lot of him. He had a fabulous series. I thought he was, before his shoulder, before his first shoulder operation, which was probably about 97, 98 maybe, I thought those first four or five years before that shoulder operation, he was at his absolute best. Maybe he was a, a smarter, cannier bowler later on. Uh, But early on when he could rip it, he still had the googly that he bowled and that genuine flipper before he kind of lost his flipper a bit later on. You know, he's just a wonderful bowler to watch.
1: What what are his strengths? What made him such a difficult bowler?
4: Um, Accuracy, um, the amount that he spun it. He operated both, you know, as a defensive and an aggressive bowler, operating in tandem with McGrath at the other end for, you know, they'd bowl an hour together and you just felt, you know, where's my next run coming from? So he's a brilliant bowler, very crafty, you know, great, thinking bowler. Um, he could work out batsmen very quickly. Um, not afraid of, of the odd word or two either. Um, <laughs> but the th- actually, the thing I've always enjoyed about Warney playing against him was that if he did well, he'd be the first to say, well done, well played, congratulations at the end of the game. You know, I found him a pretty straightforward guy to play against. He played really hard, um, you know, enjoyed the contest and the competition uh, but if you did well against him, he'd say, well done. Um, so, you know, pretty straightforward guy to play against. Him. Oh, there's a big appeal there. Now, that's got to be close. And he's given up.
2: Yes, he's gone forward now. He's, he's standing there. Cannot believe it. And I tell you what, I thought he was very, very close to RBW, playing an identical shot to that early on in
1: his innings. And Atherton has stood there. Can't believe it. What kind of impact did he have on the dressing room? Was there a sense that when you had to go out there and face Shane Warne, you were in for it?
4: No, I mean, you know, you you're always got great confidence in yourself you think you're going to do well but we knew in those years we were up against a a bloody good Australian team you know they had um, five or six champion cricketers of which obviously Shane Warne was one Um, and it was going to be hard hard work scoring runs against them when you got Warner McGrath operating for three out of the six hours which effectively they were together hard work.
1: When you did get on top of him what was he like Uh, did he go in his shell did he get any more animated? (laughs) No.
4: The only time I really saw him um, kind of run up the white flag, if you like, against an England cricketer was Peterson at Adelaide when he when he was kind of forced to go round the wicket in a very defensive mode. You know, most of the time he went round the wicket to try and bowl you around your legs or take wickets, but against Peterson at Adelaide, I felt he'd kind of finally run out of ideas. But that was about the only time that I saw him uh, like that. Other than that, you know, he's a very competitive player. And I thought the measure of him was the 2005 series, actually. I'd I'd retired by then, but the first series that I saw Australia get beat to England, you know, he raised his game. I I can't remember how many wickets he got, probably 30, 40 wickets, whatever, and and a few runs as well. And I thought that was the measure of him as a cricketer and as a competitor, the fact that when England were on top for the first time, he raised his game and, you know, produced one of his best series ever.
1: You've got to know him off the field in the commentary box. Were well, the perceptions different on the field to what he is no, away from it? Uh,
4: no, I enjoyed playing against him. I've enjoyed working with him. Very straightforward. I, I find him, um, you know, he'll be, uh, he treats the, the guy who gets your coffee with the same way that he'll treat Botham or Gower, you know, former uh, colleagues, teammates, whatever. He's uh, always found him a very straightforward bloke.
1: And he have not been mentioning uh, dirty rotten pizzas or all that type of stuff? No, he's,
4: I, he's, he's changed his diet completely. You know, he's slimmed down this summer. Um, haven't? He, I mean, still has the bag of chips for lunch, but um, he's looking in good nick for 50.
2: Good <laughs> bowled him. Clean, bowled him. That's beautifully bold.
4: Mike
6: Arcee, give us your best shame-worn story. <laughs> uh... On the field or off the field, mate. Uh, this is PC. <laughs> <laughs> well, there's so many great stories about Warnie. Um, I, I remember once being in the viewing area. We were watching. Well, we, we were playing in a test match, so um, in the viewing area watching the game, and, and Steve Bernard, the team manager, came up to the room and said, "Right, guys, you just need to fill in this sheet. Um, it's just it's just for like player profile or um, for for a questionnaire or, or something like that. So you know your name and nickname and what sort of stuff and And so Warnie had filled out his, and and I think Gilly might have seen it, and he he saw Warnie had written like about 10 different nicknames, you know, Hollywood (laughs) and Warnie and this and that and, you know, whatever it is, Sheik of Tweak and all that (laughs) sort of stuff. Uh, So you had a whole bunch of these nicknames. Anyway, the sheets got sent away downstairs with Steve Bernard, and uh, (laughs) we're just sitting there quietly watching the cricket, and Warnie goes, oh, jeez, I forgot. So he gets on the phone, rings back downstairs, uh, Brute, Brute, Steve, Steve, the manager, um... Yeah, I forgot one. I forgot one of my nicknames. And we're all sort of just sitting there quietly waiting, waiting for him. He goes, the king. <laughs> and hung up the phone. <laughs> so yeah, that sort of certainly gave us a big, big laugh as well in the viewing area. So he kept us entertained. From a personal point of view, um, another story which really meant a lot to me was my very first test match. Uh, I was extremely nervous and I, and I was not handling the emotions well at all. And it was about five minutes before we had to go out and, and bat and I was opening the batting with Matthew Hayden in my first test. And I went to the toilet for about the 35th time, you know, nervous, nervous <laughs> as anything. And um, Warney was in there just with his little playboy underpants smoking a cigarette. And he just said to me, look, Hus, I know you're nervous, but you've got nothing to prove to anyone in this dressing room. You've just got to go out there, be yourself, play your way, and you cannot fail. And, and it didn't help me at that stage. But, I mean, looking back on it, um, that was a really great thing that someone, an experienced player, someone like Shane Warren would say to a new player in the team. It really meant a lot to me. Did you know that Warney was in there having a dart in his underwear? <laughs> I didn't. Uh, yeah, you don't. You're not really seeing anything at that stage. But uh, yeah, it was it was quite a funny sight looking back on it. But yeah, uh, didn't hear the. It didn't help the, feel, the the lack of feeling in my legs and the butterflies in my stomach.
1: Did you ever play against him?
6: <laughs> yeah, I played against Warney a few times uh, in Sheffield Shield cricket. Uh, absolute nightmare. Um, <laughs> he was just such a great competitor, and, and to be able to just watch him go about his work and watch him. Uh, he just got so many re- so many revs on the ball. I could hear mm. it coming down. <laughs> but I remember one time in particular. Uh, it was the last over of the day, and I was not out. And Warney had had enough. He was like, "Come on, I just want to get over, get this game over and done with." Um, he had things to do that night and out for dinner and whatever. And but they, they brought in this rule that if um, any close infielders, if the shadow was on the pitch, then you as a batsman had the right to ask them to, to move. And I was out there batting and. Um. I sort of said, down I want these guys to move." You know, they head too in close on, you know, off and leg side. And uh, Warnie was like, "Come on, mate, hurry up! I just want to go. I just want to get out of here. I want to go out for dinner and blah blah blah." And I said, "No, no, no. The rules are, uh, you know, I'm allowed to have these guys move. I want them moved out." And, and so that started. That got Warnie angry, and he said, "Right, I'll, I'll show you." And I was like, "Oh no, I think I've made a mistake here." because this, anyway, this when you were young? I would have been... I think I was mid-20s or something like that at okay. the stage. So, yeah, I hadn't, I hadn't been around forever. And, um, and I should have, in hindsight, just sort of just got on with it. Warnie would have maybe bowled a couple of loose ones and just wanted to get off. But it really sort of steeled his, uh, you know, competitive spirit, I guess. And he thought, right, I'm going to show you, young fella. <laughs> and he bowled a great last over, and sure enough, he got me out lbw the last ball of the day. And uh, he let me know about it too. Don't worry about that. So yeah, I wish in hindsight I'd just stay quiet, just let him bowl the last over. He probably would have just given me something on the on the legs to work for, way for a single. But uh, I was stupid enough to uh, try and question <laughs> question the, uh, you know, the, the rules, and yeah, I made a mistake there.
1: It's not just his bowling. Well, it was it was the theatre that he brought with it. it yeah. How many times do you think he got batsmen out just
6: by getting in their head? I reckon a lot. Um, I, I can't put a number on it, but but you know there's it, that that was part of it. You know, uh, setting a batsman up. Um, I remember again playing in South Africa, uh, mid over, I was fielding at short leg. He called me up you know, to, the, to his bowling mark and, and started talking to me. And he was talking absolute rubbish. So what do you think we should do for dinner tonight? And, uh, yeah, I don't, I don't really like chicken. I'm going to go for, you know, the steak tonight or whatever. And I was thinking, Warnie, what are you doing mid-over of a test match? And he goes, oh, don't worry, we'll just have a bit of a chat. Okay, off you go. And, and I m- remember going back to short leg and thinking, what, what was he doing? But – he was playing the game with Sean Pollock, who was at the strikers' end, thinking, what are these two talking about? What plan are they setting me up? Is it going to be wrong and is it going to be a flipper? You know, what, what's what, what's going on? And and that's the sort of way his mind used to work. How about
1: technically in team meetings, setting up bats meetings, talking about his own bowling, but in terms of strategy from the team, how what was his input like uh, in those scenarios and even out on the field, talking to guys like McGrath and Gillespie and, and those guys?
6: Yeah, it it varied. It's not, sometimes he wouldn't say much at all, um, but other times... Yeah, he he um, spoke out quite a lot, uh, and and he was the sort of guy that yeah, maybe he wouldn't speak all the time, but when he spoke, he generally was spot on we, tactically with the way he was thinking or what what he thought we should do. Um, but it was always positive, and it was always about okay, how can we win the game? You know, what do we need to do to win? It was never about oh well, let's just hang in here for a while or let's just survive for a bit. It, it was always okay when how are we going to win? And, and he was instrumental, I think, back to my favourite. Test match, really. I was going to LA. ask you, yeah. Uh, on that fifth day when everyone thought it was going to be a draw, boring draw, including myself. I turned up on day five thinking it's definitely going to be a draw. And a team meeting was, was called, which was un, unusual, and it was Warren, uh Ponting and Buchanan that made the team believe on, that we could win this test match. And and, and Warney was instrumental in that. He was one pushing, saying we can win, but we've got to believe we can win. And and Warney um, he bowled two sessions non-stop on that fifth day and bowled magnificently.
2: Oh, he's got him, he's him. he's him the legs. Oh, yes. What a cricketer!
6: Got him. Clean bowled him. We had to decide as a team which way we wanted to go. Were we just gonna go all out attack? Go for wickets every ball. Um, we might, they might give away a few more runs, but we need to get the last, the last nine wickets, or do we just go really patient, build up the pressure and hope they make a mistake. And and that's the way as a team we decided to go on that day and it proved, proved to be a a magnificent test win. And, And even at the end of that test, watching the, you know, guys like Ricky and, um, and Warnie, the way they celebrated that test match. And they, they came out publicly saying that's probably one of the best two or three test matches they've ever played in their entire life. Um, you could see how much it meant to him. It was great.
7: Out oh, got in! Beautiful work. Healy, superb wicket-keeping and beautifully bowled.
1: Ian Healy, can you believe that Shane Warne is turning 50?
8: <laughs> oh, scared the hell out of me. Um, Peter Pan didn't turn 50, did he? <laughs> so I, was, I guess I was just not expecting it.
1: Warne always says that you were the best keeper he bowled to. What made it such a challenge and a privilege to keep the Shane Warne?
8: Well, it, it was a it was a privilege for four days, I reckon, um, and it was a great privilege because he could he had very low level of fitness, very low <laughs> level of fitness, but he could bowl into the wind in 40 degree heat in Perth, one you know half a day while it quicks operate downbreeze and then back it up and do it again tomorrow and keep it economical, not go for runs. So he had an incredible match for toughness and fitness, but not you wouldn't call it physical fitness. He wouldn't run around the block for you. So. So that was the privilege of keeping to him performing those sorts of feats uh, when it wasn't in his favour. In those early Ashes tours, well, 93, his first Ashes tour, a lot of people just thought he went through England easily, but he didn't. You look at a lot of his figures, it was 30 overs, 3 for 75, or 35 overs, um, 4 for 60. You know, he really toiled hard and bowled long. Um, and it wasn't always uh, entertaining and beating the bat type stuff. It was it was serious skill and a lot of it was patience. Um, so th- then in the late fourth day and fifth day, when a good batsman or a good partnership was going and he's going around the wicket, it becomes quite difficult for the wicketkeeper because... The batsman's in your way a lot. The ball might do stuff out of the rough, or it might not. Um, And it's a good batsman and a good partnership, so you don't want to miss anything. So that's where the challenge really came in. Isn't
2: that a wonderful piece of bowling? Healy keeps brilliantly to both May and Warren. It's one of the features of Australia's cricket.
8: I guess my privilege was to see him from his first first first-class time you know when when bobby simpson was molding him into a cricketer that really wanted to be as good as he turned out to be um to um his serious masterclass of of a uh, career before i handed over to gilly so it was it was just wonderful to to watch all those skills and not difficult to read you knew what was coming yeah all the batsmen knew what were coming bar two daryl cullinan robin smith um, they're really the only two both great players just could not pick him out of the hand even though he was pretty easy to read
4: oh, and he's bowled him so once again Shane Warne has got the better of Daryl Cullinan
8: his greatest skill was his accuracy to to put the ball right where it needed to be put on certain wickets if it was spinning a certain amount uh, and the batsman, you know, was a right-hander and a sweeper. He'd know how to put it in the right spot, at the right speed, with the right trajectory. He'd have all that sort of match match awareness and intuition and be able to change it very quickly if needed. So that, that it was a delight. Um, but the challenge of a day five, not so delightful.
1: He loved the theatre, didn't he, Warney? And that Bazard Allen dismissal the final ball of the day at the SCG, you were there and you guys had a bit of a chat set the scene for us and
8: what did you guys discuss? Look, Warney is the first cricketer I know that grew up watching cameras cover cricket. Okay. So, so you know, it was all a bit new for me. I didn't know where the cameras were or anything or, you know, you're, you know, you're on telly. Warney's the first cricketer I know that knew which camera would be on him. So when he got his hat back from the umpire... He'd look the, the right way and bang, the camera was on him. You know, the right one, face on. And then at the nets, you'd see him purposely, he'd walk back to his mark at the nets when there's a paparazzi sitting all around the, the roped-off area and he'd give them nothing. One ball, two balls, three balls. And then here it goes, the fourth ball is going to be the lick of the lips and the throw of the ball. And and then he'd starve them again for a little while. Oh, he's just, just one big game. The Bassett Ali one, he had no um, thought for me. I'd had a long day behind the stumps, keeping to him, and mm-hmm. that's not easy. Um, so he, the last day, Bassett Ali was a big um, time waster himself. And so now we had him on our turf, you know, the SCG for a start, but it's in overtime. It's after 6 o'clock and Warney's still got to bowl this over. So from the first ball of this over, Warney just says, Heels, Heels, come down. Let's called me down for a chat. No, I'm not coming. And then because I'm desperate to get off the field, just like Bassett Ali is, and and I know what Wardy's trying to do, but no, no, and four ball, he persisted for four balls, I reckon, and then finally I said, oh right, I went down, had a chat about absolutely nothing, because he doesn't eat dinner. We couldn't even talk about where we're going for dinner tonight because he he ate nothing. He ate <laughs> spaghetti bolognese some nights, no mushrooms. If he or toasted cheese sandwiches, and when you go to McDonald's and order cheeseburgers without the burger, that's that's so no discussion about food.
2: Well, Healy is on his way down now to have a word with Warren. That might be partly psychological.
8: And and anyway, as we were, as we were walking off, he said, "Oh, well, what do I bowl?" You know, as if he needed any advice. I just said, "Rip a leggy," and only Warney could rip a leggy through his legs. You know, ra- round the front leg through the. He threw both of his legs in bowling.
2: You wouldn't believe it. He's done in between his legs. Well, whatever it is they talked about, you can bet your life in future it'll be. Why don't you give him the one that'll bowl in between his legs?
8: So, you know, and off we went. And I was just keen to get off and, and the journalists made a big thing of it and we told the journalists we had this big plan to bowl around his legs and the journalists, when they found out that wasn't the case, weren't that happy. <laughs> but, um, yeah, yeah, that, that was... He had no thought for me at all. I, he, whether I wanted to get off the field or not, he's dragging it out.
1: Were you ever in the batsman's ear letting them know that, you know, Flipper's coming, Wrongan's coming? No,
8: because he was... <laughs> He, he He would tell some bats only only rarely, let's say less than a handful of times, he'd say to a batsman, "Wow, that's a good shot. Now I'm going to bowl you the same ball again, okay and you and you see if you can do it again. And so now the I'm with the batsman, I'm seeing his mind tick over he's going he's not going to do that. he surely you won't do that." and so I didn't need to say anything. You could just see it happening and and sometimes I might say, he'll do it, he'll bowl you the same ball. And they didn't believe us, of course. And then the same ball would get bowled and he wouldn't play the shame shot at it. And then Warnies all over him, you weak so-and-so. <laughs> like, I told you, I'm never going to bowl you a ball again that that you want, you know? So he'd turn on you. Um, but yeah, it, like a masterclass of that sort of gamesmanship as well.
1: One thing you did say, which caught on
8: uh, like a brush fire, Bold shame. Yeah. Mate, you're part of the cricket lexicon. Yes, and a lot of, countries um south africa and england too, to, to sort of just the name two thought it was a tactic you know thought i was saying it to let the fi- batsman i like think a, like it a was, code word it or something. was really great bowling out there but <laughs> it wasn't as very natural encouragement and because that's how tight he was keeping it how much spin he getting his ability to change things and still keep it economical it was genuine encouragement well done morning you know bold one well, bold, Shane, whatever, the, whatever it was. So it was a totally natural thing that got read into a lot by a couple of countries.
1: What was he like in the dressing room? Have you got a couple of stories of what he was like as a
8: teammate? Well, in the dressing room, so there'd be uh, a, a ashtray. It would be in various forms, whether it be a big Coke bottle with water in it where he'd put his butts in there and count them up over a test. It was ugly. Uh, but... In his corner, he had the most amount of gear of any poorly performed batsman in the game of cricket. Sort of the numbers of bats he's had per run scored would be the best in cricket. The highest ratio of bats in your coffin and in the corner of the room and gifted to you by Gunn and Moore per run. The highest in the game, you know. He was an absolute, uh, you know, bat nuffy. All his equipment was uh, spot on. How he liked it: his shoes, his clothes, uh, sweatbands, everything. Very, very tidy uh, cricketer, and and look looked really good. His his hero is Ian Chapel, and mm. he, he just loved looking like a cricketer. If you can't, if you don't have a great day, look like a good cricketer. So that type of mantra was, you know, true to Warnie. There you go, Shane Warn. Oh, Peter Pan, happy 50th. Cut shot, Gilchrist appeals. It's a bottom edge, is it? Top edge it might be. Hussein doesn't get 50. Warren gets in. That's Hussain.
1: Uh, Shane Warren's turning 50.
9: I know it's remarkable, isn't it? I mean, <laughs> um, he looks pretty well, actually, of late. He's lost a bit of timber. He looks really well. Um, and it's an incredible story. Uh, what a cricketer. I don't think, of my era anyway, I don't think there is a cricketer that was more watchable than Shane Warne. Forget his skills and forget everything else about him, what a good bowler he was. But actually, he was an absolutely box office cricketer on and off the field.
1: Can you remember your first recollections of coming up against him?
9: I can't remember coming up against him. I think maybe I was on tour in Australia, even as a, I think I was maybe somewhere like Adelaide or Sydney playing grade cricket. And I went along to watch the England boys net. And Shane was just bowling to him. And he's like, like a you know, blonde beach boy sort of just in the (laughs) nets, slightly overweight, sorry about that Shane, just bowling in the nets to England and I thought, okay, this, this leggy looks okay and then obviously my first proper recollection was the Gatting ball here at Old Trafford, then I was sat at home watching on the telly, watching him bowl those flippers to Alex Stewart at Brisbane and then I came up against him at Edgbaston, um, when we beat him, and I remember the night before being in my hotel room thinking, God, I've got to face Shane Warne tomorrow, and I got all the England management to send me a video of Shane Warne, and I sat in my room eating a chicken tikka masala (laughs) watching videos of Shane Warne. I'm sure he wasn't sitting there watching videos of me the night before a game.
1: We had some early success against him. Um, What is the key to getting on top of him if there is
9: one? The key is to not play the name. It's so easy. He was so... Such an aura about a little bit like the Aussies against Botham all those years ago. For us, it was the other way round. If you stood on your bat and you looked at Shane Warne 22 yards or so away and you thought, crikey, it's Shane Warne, it's Shane Warne, he's almost defeated you before the ball comes down. So you just have to play the ball as it comes down. Now, that is easier said than done because he had such a big personality and such a big aura and presence about him that it was very difficult to put to the back of your mind that this you were now playing against one of the greatest cricketers of all time.
1: Could you get a sense that some of your teammates were defeated before they went out there and faced him?
9: Not so much defeated. I mean, generally, of our era, we had a lot of cricketers of mental baggage and scarring against Australia. So, you know, when I took over as captain, for example, I'd get very disappointed. I think there was a game in Adelaide when we were 20 for two or something. And a batter would come off and go, oh, why are we always 20 for two? You know, I was like... We've got to stop being 20-for-2 against Australia. The only people who can stop us being 20-for-2 against us. So there was a bit of mental scarring and baggage. And there were just lads that once Shane got it over them, that they just, you know, obviously the Daryl Cullen is obviously the classic one. But also we had some in Robin Smith. I remember clearly being in the dressing room at Edgebass, And Robin Smith was one of the nicest people of all time. And he was a fantastic player of fast bowling. And he was a pretty good player of spin. But he got out again to a worn googly or something. He came in, looked at the screen, and he was completely bamboozled by what and he kept he kept saying to us, How are you picking this lad? And you know actually Shane was slightly easier to pick Mm. than maybe a Murley or someone. But once he got to you mentally, Shane Warren, then you were gone. Because he he was so tough mentally. You'd go out to bat and he wouldn't say anything. You'd think, Oh, Shane's letting you off today, you know, Shane's not in a bad mood today. And you'd get up his end and he'd say, Morning, Nasser. I go, morning, Shane. And he goes, you do realise I got you out 22 times or whatever. <laughs> I thought, ah, he's been saving that. So he would try the sort of mental disintegration against you.
2: Ah! That one's out. Maybe this time. Yes, says Rudy Kirkson. Nasser was saying, doesn't like it. He's actually walking the wrong way as
1: well. Do you look back and think you're either really unlucky to run into someone like Shane Warne or privileged to be able to play against someone really like him? Really
9: good question. I get asked that a lot. Especially the last few years, where Australia have been playing catch up cricket a little bit for various reasons, not so much on this tour. But, um, you know, people say, oh, you know, were you a little bit unlucky to come up against that era, that Australian side? I say, no way. Given my time again, I would play against that Australian side every single time because the two greatest sides of all time, the West Indies sides under Viv Richards and Lloyd and that Australian side I played against. It was brilliant. Shane Warne, to play against him was an absolute privilege. Why did you grow up playing cricket? Why did you want to play for England? Because you want to be there with someone challenged everything about your game, your technique, your mind. Do you really want to be out there? Warne bowling, Gilchrist behind you, Langer sledging you, Hayden, Steve Warne mental disintegration with arguably the greatest... And also everything else about him. The flared trousers, the zinc on his face, the various hairdos, the stumps at Trent Bridge when he had the stump on the balcony <laughs> celebrating, the balmy army singing songs at him, etc. It is why you play the game, to play against cricketers like you know, Shane Warne. I can tell my kids and my grandkids i played against you know, arguably the greatest bowler there's ever been.
1: Last question. Will we ever see another Shane Warne?
9: I mean, everyone is replaceable. You know, when when various Australian batsmen have retired, you'd think, will we ever see another one like it? You? And you'd now turn up and Steve Smith's doing what Bradman did and what Ponting did and what Aiden and Langer and War and more, you know, every great is replaceable. There'll be another one come along. I don't know if there'll be another one that comes along that, you know, cricket is about entertaining crowds and making it a, a watchable um, event. I don't know if there'll be another one that comes along that makes it as watchable as Shane Warne. He was absolutely box office and was a thrill to play against. And more importantly, spectators loved watching him.
1: Happy birthday, Warnie.
9: Yeah, big lad, well done, 60 or 70, whatever you are. Happy birthday. (laughs) Shouldn't call him big lad, now I'm in trouble. Ricky
1: Ponning, Shane Warne is 50, <laughs> you knew him right back at the start, in fact,
5: uh, he gave you the nickname Punner, didn't he? Certainly did, yeah, I've, I've known Warne for a long time, Well, when I think about it, I reckon I was 15 when I first met him, so I've known him for 35 years now, um, I can't believe he's 50, Jeez, he's getting on, isn't he, old boy? <laughs> um, yeah, known him for a long time, met him at the at the Cricket Academy when i, I just finished year 10, got a um, full-time scholarship over at the Academy. Um, yeah went over there and that's when I first got to meet him and uh spent a lot of time with him then he was um he was there training with us before he went on his first uh, Australian tour I think it was to Sri Lanka so um yeah as I said spent a lot of time with him actually had a few funny stories to tell from from then as well I remember one day we he picked me up and his had a new Nissan car I can't think what it was called like a little white Nissan thing and he picked us up and we drove down to Klonelg and he went to meet a, a friend of his down there that I think actually coached him in the academy a couple of years before and um stopped and got like a yogurt soft serve ice cream thing and we're on the way on the way back and and an old lady went through the roundabout in an an old i'll never forget old gold tarana hatchback tarana went through (laughs) a roundabout and just cleaned us up like we hit the back of her her car she was completely in the wrong we done everything right going through the roundabout um she yeah just went straight into us and next minute you know she her car had done a like a 180 degree thing and sped across the road and through the front yard of a house and smashed into a tree and um yeah, that was one of the first days I had with Warnie, so... Jeez. Yeah, funny day. When you were captain,
1: can you describe the luxury it was to be able to throw the ball to someone like Shane Warne? I mean, it would be easy to say uh, all Ricky Ponty did was just throw the ball to Glenn McGrath and Shane Warne, but why wouldn't you?
5: Well, they were both pretty ordinary until I came along as captain. <laughs> unless, <laughs> let's let's be serious with it all. <laughs> um, no, look, it, and it was a great luxury. It was a great luxury we had around that whole team at that time. But, you know, when when you did have... Warn at one end, McGrath at the other. If you wanted, and you bowl them in tandem. Then, one, your new teams weren't going to score quickly, and two, that you know they, were, they were, because of the pressure they built up. You were going to take wickets. So, um, yeah, look, Warnie was a, a, a an unbelievably good teammate. Obviously, had great knowledge of the game. Um, knew his own game inside out. knew his strengths and weaknesses really well. But more importantly, knew the opposition's strengths and weaknesses really well as well. So, tactically, very good. Um, and just a, a, an ultra competitive person that that's the reason that he ended up being as good as he was he's just so competitive he, you know he was just never beaten in any contest didn't matter who it was if it was Tendulkar in India or Lara in the West Indies or you know any of, any of those players in Australia whenever he had the ball in his hand he, he always thought he could win and he thought his team could win and he, wanted, he would do whatever he could to give his team the best chance of winning so that's what I loved the most about him so um yeah loved every moment playing with him
1: were there times when you when a wicket fell or inning started that you could see the batters come out and before they even faced up to Warney, that they you knew they were beat. You knew that they that Warney had their number.
5: Well, there are a few batters that he had it over big time. I mean, I played a few Test matches with Daryl Cullen and against South Africa, and he had it over him to the point where I think in mid-series he'd gone and seen a psychologist and done some hypnotherapy and all that sort of stuff to try and get Warney out of his head. So um, it's fair to say he had it over him.
4: Whipper, and he's got him again with it. So uh, he's pulled one for four, but missed the second one.
5: A lot of the, um, I guess a lot of the England batters that he would have bowled to, guys like Alex Stewart and um, Graham Thorpe and those sort of guys, I reckon he had a pretty good, Ian Bell, I think early on in his career, he had a pretty strong hold on. So yeah, you could tell. And um, I think the guys that always played him the best were the guys that were aggressive against him. You know, Tendulkar was always aggressive against him. Lara was exceptionally aggressive against him. And probably in the latter times, someone like Kevin Peterson and those guys, when they looked to be aggressive, um, that's when, batsman had the better of him but if he just sat back and waited he you know he was just too good he didn't didn't give too much away
1: what about in the dress room what was he like as a teammate away off the field in the dress room around the team
5: no, no fantastic i mean he won't mind me saying this most of the issues were sort of after cricket time after <laughs> after play finishes when we had most of the issues and he'll ever laughed and a joke at that i mean the the biggest challenge and i always tell funny stories about it, the biggest challenge i had with him and McGraw on the side was because I was captain, I'd always do the press conference the day before the game. And what that meant was that Warne and McGraw and these guys would do the press two days out. So quite often I'd have to go and pick up the pieces and what they would <laughs> said the day before. And they'd talk about how we're going to win 5 nil, and McGraw would say, I'm going to get Lara five times, or Warne would say, I'm going to get Tandooka five times, and I'd have to go and pick up all the pieces after that. But, no, look, it, as I said, it, just, a, just a great teammate. Ultra competitive, um, you know, around the team, just willing to, to do anything, help anybody, um, and wanted to win games. So you can't ask for more than that.
1: Is there a story that sticks out for you? Well,
5: yeah, there is. I mean going back to going back to the two thousand and five Asher series over here, um, you know, leading into that series I had a few issues at home and, and a few things had gone on that I was actually really worried about him as a person but how he would be able to cope with all that and then still be able to focus on his cricket because obviously going into that series i knew how big a weapon he was going to be for us over here and if he wasn't quite right or he wasn't going to play then i needed to know what was going on so i, I rang him the couple of days before the first test and said let's catch up and have a break i have a chat to you about things anyway so we he agreed and got down there and said mate i'm just a bit worried how you, how you feeling he looked at me with this really stupid look on his face he said what are you talking about i said well there's a bit of stuff going on and he said, "Mate, trust me. I'll look after all that stuff. I'll, and but when it's time to come and play, I guarantee that I'll be there, 100% switched on. I'll be ready to go. And you know the facts don't lie. He had one of the all-time great Ashes series. I think he took 40 wickets and was our third or fourth leading run score, I reckon in that series in 05. So the ability that he had to be able to compartmentalise certain parts of his life and deal with stuff off the field and then just turn up and be the ultra-competitive professional player on the field was was unbelievable." And what kind of
1: impact did he have on his teammates? You look at the 99 semi where he dragged Australia back into that game, 2006 at Adelaide, nine weeks on that final day, and um, we've heard that uh, he really revved the team up and made them believe that they could win that game. I mean, you were instrumental in that as well. What kind of impact did he have on that? And can you remember the type of stuff he would say to the team to to get them believing?
5: It wasn't much about what he said, to be honest, because even in 99 he wasn't captain. He was vice-captain in that 99 World Cup. It was more about what he did when he got the ball. Mm. You know, he... So they were chasing the low two hundreds, weren't they? That that South Africa semi final, and it was going to take something special for for him, for us to win the game, and that's what exactly what happened. And you, you see his reactions; You could see how much it meant to him. And looking back now, I remember around the time there was some talk around that that, that if we hadn't have lost that game, it might have been his last game. Mm-hmm. And and then when you put those pieces together and hear that story and how he, how. He reacted when he got the wickets. I've never seen him react like that before, so there's obviously something a bit more on the line. Yes, it was a World Cup semi-final, and whatever else, but it just seemed like there might have been a bit more to it. But, um, yeah, and then that's the same as what the question you asked me earlier about having Warner McGraw on your side. Well, that test match in Adelaide where... You know, it was pretty evident that England weren't going to try and set up a game. They are just going to try and block it out. Well, good luck blocking out against Warnie on late on day four in Adelaide when it's turning. And then we got the ball reversing and there had McGraw and Lee at the other end. And, you know, because the scoreboard had shut down, the game was just falling in our hands. But, you know, you can't have results go that way without having exceptionally skilled bowlers. And, and as I said, I think Warnie's the best that i played with and against
1: what about uh, his diet and training? That's been. We've spoken to a few people. It's
5: been a little bit different. <laughs> well, uh, well, his training for one, let's just say, he bowled a little bit in the nets, and that's about where his training finished. <laughs> and I, like he loved his catching, and he's a, that's the other part of his game that people probably underestimate a little bit. He was a great slipper, really, really good slip fielder. Um, but when he needed to train and when he needed to work hard, he did. You know, if things weren't quite right with his bowling, he'd always have – Terry Jenner would come in and they'd spend hours and hours going through things and bowling and bowling and bowling until he got it right and he was he was after a certain feel and after a certain shape on the ball. And once he got that, then he was happy. So he never overtrained. He got himself right and um, did whatever he did. His diet's a, a different kettle of fish altogether. I don't think that's changed much <laughs> through the years. You know, having spent a bit of time with him the last couple of years as well, there's – I don't think there's too many vegetables that have been added to that diet of his. It's still, the, it's still cheese sandwiches and cheese pizza and uh, lasagna and, and potato and, and chips. That's about as, as extravagant as it gets. So um,
1: Fair to say it's carb heavy.
5: You can probably <laughs> tell too, can't you? Yeah. <laughs>
1: <laughs> there's so many stories about how he predicts a wicket, how he's going to explain to, to a teammate or someone in the slips how he's going to set up a batsman and then execute it. Have you got one of those?
5: He didn't actually get him out, but he told me how an over against Kevin Peterson at the Oval in 2005 was going to go. So we went out after tea, and he said, I'm going to start round the wicket. I'll start round the wicket to Peterson. First ball will land just in the footmarks. He'll put he'll just pat it away. Second ball will land in the footmarks. He'll pat it away. Next one, I'll take it a bit slow and a bit wider. He'll use his feet and try and hit me down the ground. And he, he, he taught me through this, that how the six balls were going to go. And the six balls went exactly that way in the over. And I remember I was standing at short cover. And I'd had it in my own mind about how it was going to play out. And I'm thinking, yeah, you might get the first couple, right? But, you know, he can't land every ball like he said. And he landed every ball like he said. And Peterson played every ball like he said he was going to play it. So um, that was pretty remarkable. It didn't lead to a wicket, but the execution for six balls and knowing the batsman was spot on. Do you
1: reckon we'll ever see another
5: Shane one? No, not with leg spin, no chance. No chance. Always, you think about, I'm not sure if you've heard leg spin bowling explained this way before, but bowling in itself is an unusual action running in turning side on bowling with a straight arm up it's, yeah. an, it's an unusual action it's when, not good for you either. no and that's when you're bowling the ball at the front of your hand so it's it's when you're bowling the ball at the back of your hand is another skill on top of that so you know it's an unnatural movement that he's very natural at mm-hmm. everything he did with his bowling and leg spin it, it just we just come natural to him I mean, you look at his build you look at his fingers you look at his right forearm everything that he has he built to bowl leg spin it's simple as that and um we won't see another leg spinner as good as him you know he's everyone talked about how much he spun the ball and he did he was a big spinner of the ball early in his career as his career went on he probably didn't quite turn it as much but his control for someone that bowled leg spin we've never seen before mm-hmm. that you know Kumble had great control but he was a lot faster didn't get a lot of side spin on the ball so he was bowling sort of overspinners. spinners and for that you can get away with it and he was quicker so because he was faster his margin for error was was bigger than morning's but you know, Warney's controlled and being able to execute things was incredible. Happy birthday, Warnie. Happy birthday, mate. Yeah!
2: Got him. Knocked him over. Look to be a eight Went straight through McKenzie. That's beautiful bowling by Shane Warne.
1: Shane Warne, let me be the first to say happy 50th birthday.
7: <laughs> oh, my goodness. 50th birthday. I remember when I was young and everyone said they were, someone said they were 30, you'd say, geez, that's old, <laughs> let alone 50. Um, yeah, well, thank you very much. And thank you to everyone for the well wishes. Um I really didn't want anyone to know. I wanted to keep the secret. You don't <laughs> want people to know you're fifty, do you? Uh, but yeah, no, it's been great. Um, shame I'm not. I've got my son here with me, but uh, missing my uh, my two girls, Brooke and Summer. So um, yeah, but fiftieth in a Ashes Test match in England. It's good. All right, 145 All right, tests, on, on.
1: 194 one days, a thousand one international wickets, World Cup winner, Ashes winner, one of Wisden's five players of the twentieth century. I want to know, when was peak warning? When were you at your absolute best?
7: Um, I would say probably pre-shoulder operations. I had, I think, four shoulder ops between 98 and 2001. Uh, so I had probably three years there where I wasn't quite at my best. I still think I bowled okay, but not at my absolute best. I think probably a sort of late... Boxing Day 92, that sort of time, um, until that 97, 98 sort of summer in Australia, and then the shoulder went probably just before that, probably 96, 97. So that sort of five, six-year period. Yeah. Uh, I don't know how many test matches and one days and all that I played, but um, I will say that was probably at my peak where my wronging was really good. I had a good leggy flipper and everything, and then suddenly the injuries kicked in. Um, fingers, shoulders, knees, all that. But then I thought... Just towards the end, 2005, 6, 7, the year I had off in 2003, then four, five, six, seven. those last four years, I thought I found a way to deal with my injuries and overcome the things I couldn't do anymore. Um, and I think those last four years, I, I bowled pretty well. Mm-hmm. I'm not sure the actual numbers of my stats those last four years, but I think they were pretty good too. So those last four years were good. I was a different bowler, but I still think I, I did pretty well. But I think, yeah, that 90, Boxing Day 92 till sort of, you know, the, say no, Boxing Day 97 around that time was probably yeah. at my peak. <laughs> we um, close, got in. Yeah, it's beautifully bowled. You can see it out of the fingers, Johnny Rhodes. Wasn't quick enough to get
2: down. Superb bowling by Shane Warren. The flipper is a lethal weapon here at Pacific cricket Ground.
1: How many more wickets do you reckon you would have got if you never lost the flipper? I mean, you always had it, but you couldn't bowl it quite as well as that five-year period.
7: Yeah, uh, my finger, you know, I had, 3 or 4 operations on my finger and it was never the same again so it all felt differently. I developed a slider those last 4 years that I was talking about which was just as effective as my flipper to top order batsman. Yep. And tail. Um, but the flipper those you know those those 5 years you're talking about uh, it was pretty good weapon then and not many people had seen it. So Maybe a few more, maybe a few more of DRS as well. <laughs> we could keep going on. But um, yeah, look, I, I don't have any regrets whatsoever. I was very lucky to play in a wonderful era of Australian cricket. you know. And I'd like to think I did pretty well and repay the faith of selectors picking me at such a young age when I probably mm-hmm. wasn't ready.
1: A lot of the people we've spoken to have spoken about the aura of Shane Warne. Mike Tyson used to say when he was at his best, he would enter the ring and look across at his opponent and know that he'd already beat them. Mm-hmm. Were there times when you would look down the pitch and see a batter and know you've already got the wood over him?
7: Uh, Well, Mark Waugh used to say to me, mate, you just have to turn up there, get two wickets on reputation. (laughs) Uh, (laughs) I said, yeah, whatever, mate. What do you just catch him? I think there were times when against certain teams, South Africa, Pakistan and England at times, I, I think against those sides I'd done so well against them the, and I played against the same guys over and over again, that you sort of do have the wood on. You feel that you stand at the top of your mark and you did feel like you. they were worried about you. Mm. You weren't so worried about the batsmen, um, but they were more worried about you. So, yeah, having aura, what is aura? It's about the, what you're actually capable of doing and the batsmen knowing what you're capable of doing and then they worry about what you can actually do. So you've got to use that to your advantage and that can be some of the mind games, some of the psychological battles, taking a long time to release the ball, pausing at the top of your mark, let them think about all the things that you could do. Um, so there's the, the psychology part of it and the mental side of the game is really important.
1: How often when you actually pulled a team of aside with a bats waiting there, were you actually talking about what you're going to bowl as opposed to what are you having for dinner? What are you doing <laughs> later that night? <laughs>
7: Well, towards the end, I'd say, listen, uh, I, you know, if someone played a miss, i say, can't be that hard, mate. I've got a leg break and a straight one. So it can't <laughs> be that hard to play me, can you? You wouldn't want to get out to a bloke. You're going to just spin it you know, away from the bat in a straight one. Come on. And um, you sort of felt sometimes that they go, geez, he's right. I, should, I wasn't that hard to pick at the end. Um, I was a lot harder to pick at the start with the variations that I had. Um, but uh, look... When you got McGrath and Gillespie and Lee and these type of guys bowling and taking wickets and suddenly the spinner comes on, you think oh there's going to be respite, but I was so lucky to have those guys around me. Yeah, they took a lot of wickets as well. Um, but I was yeah, I was very lucky to, that we had a great Australian side.
1: Who were some of the batsmen you enjoyed not only bowling to but also getting out?
7: <laughs> uh, well I think the two best batsmen in the 25 30 years that I've played at from, you know, with Tendulkar and Lara. Oh.
2: Oh, well played. Beautifully driven through the offside. That's four. That's a lovely cover drive. He's been waiting for one
7: to get away. That'll just relieve the pressure on Tendulkar a little bit. They were the best two batsmen, and then the rest, there were some great players. You know, you talk about the Graham Gooches, the Sangakaras, uh, the Ricky Pontings, the Kevin Petersons, the Jacques Callas, all those guys were such great players. But there was two standouts in the last 25, 30 years for me, and that was Lara and Tendulkar. So anytime you got those guys out was always nice.
2: Ah! It's gone. He's got behind. Wall breaks through. We've got the top spinner at the end of a great, great knock. Fire out for 132.
7: And I found, unfortunately, with Sachin, a couple of times in India, I, I I wasn't at my best, and with my shoulder and stuff like that. That's no excuse. And They played me really well, but so I would have liked to have been at my best. We, if you think of when we played, I made my debut against India in 91, 92. We didn't play him against till 98. Mm. So all my whole best years of when I was at my best, I'd never had a chance to play against India except in a World Cup in 96. Um, so I was I'm was a little bit disappointed that I never got my chance to play at the best, but I'd played against Lara a few times at my best, and we had some great battles. Uh, he was such a great player of spin, Brian Lara, as Quicks as well, standing in for, at slip watching him play against McGrath. Just, it was amazing battles when you're bowling against the best, and Lara and Tenduka were two best. Sidhu from India was probably another great player of spin. He used mm. to just whack you out the park. He was, a, he was really hard to bowl to. Um, Mark Waugh, I found, was probably the best player from the Australian area of spin. They had some good battles, Victoria and New South Wales with him. He made a great 100 in Sydney. So I really enjoyed my battles with uh, Mark Waugh as well.
1: Two guys that have been mentioned, Daryl Cullinan yeah. and Robin Smith.
7: <laughs> well, Robin Smith's become uh, one of my dear friends um, and I thought it was a little bit unfair. Yes, I sort of did pretty well against him in the, in 93 Ashes, and in the end, he got dropped from that series. But I don't think it was... he. They said it was because I he, I kept getting him out, but I don't agree with that. He, um, <laughs> he's become a great mate. Darryl, even his own teammates say they didn't like him very much, so I love getting Darryl out, and I love getting him out all the time. Um, you know, and watch things like uh, him open the batting in one day is, and... It was just good fun. He had no idea what the flipper was um, at that stage. Um, so yeah, it was. It wasn't a contest, mate. It wasn't fair. <laughs> it wasn't fair, Sammy. Well, come on, it wasn't a fair battle with Daryl. He didn't know what was coming.
4: Big shout, and he's gone. Once again, the quicker delivery has got right through Daryl Cullinan, and he really does have some uh, thinking to do
7: about his cricket.
1: What are some of your favourite dismissals throughout your career?
7: I thought, well, I, I, the Mike Gatting, the Gatting ball here in Manchester in 1993 would have to be the best ball I think I've ever bowled to take a wicket. Um, and given that was my first ever ball in Ashes cricket, it was um, pretty amazing.
2: And he's done it. He started off with the most beautiful delivery. Gadding has absolutely no idea what has happened to it. He
7: still doesn't know. Go down as a ball of the century, which people have called it, is um, pretty remarkable. Uh, so I'd have to say that one was an amazing uh, delivery. Changed my life. Some of the other ones, I think there's a flipper to Richie Richardson, Boxing Day 92. Uh, I went on to take 7 for 50 in that game and that sort of gave me the belief that I was good enough for that level, for this level of international cricket. I bowled a really good wrongin' to uh, Ganguly in Adelaide, and Gilly actually took a great take and stumped Ganguly, which was really good.
4: Oh, a chance there for Gilchrist. He got them off pretty quickly, and Ganguly hasn't even bothered to uh, wait for the umpire's decision.
7: Strauss in Birmingham in 05, mm. when he would let it go. Chandler Paul, actually uh, Paul in Sydney, um, when well, I'd just come back from a finger operation and bowled him from around the wicket.
2: is really teed him up, and he has struck just before lunch.
7: There are a few that sort of stand out off the top of my uh, top of my head. Oh, oh hat ball 94 at the MCG. Of course. Yes! So there's a few that probably stand out off the top of my head. One of the things the guys are talking
1: about is how you can set up a batsman. Can you remember one wicket where you had a plan and you just perfectly executed it?
7: Yeah, you've got to have a plan as a bowler. And I used to love, you know, I'd love to have that strategy, come up with a strategy and a tactic and then then try and put it in place because it takes overs and overs to set someone up for things. Probably the one that stands out off the top of my head was Alex Stewart at the Gabba. Um he was such a an aggressive player, like the cut shot and like to um, play square of the wicket. So I thought I'd try and set him up for a flipper, and I bowled middle stump, middle stump, then off stump, and then try to bowl a bit faster and flatter. Then bowled a shortish one, tried to bowl it really fast, short leg break. That you know I've got a fielder's on the off side that you know he might hit it to the fielder, but it was get him in that position of back foot across and then try to cut it. And then followed up with a flipper. I didn't mean to get hit for four, but if I did get hit for four, well, it was okay. And in the end, he did hit it for four. Then the next ball, I pulled one one of my greatest flippers. I bowled and knocked him over straight away. Oh!
2: Yes, he's bowled in. That was a flipper. Magnificent bowling from War Stewart, who's been looking to go down the pitch, looking to cut hook, line and sinker.
7: So that was a great plan and it actually worked. Um, so yeah it was always nice when that sort of stuff happened it wasn't that often people c- say it was a bit more often than it actually was
1: or do you just say it afterwards you say you, afterwards so you it
7: happens you say well I set him up for that exactly <laughs> that was a plan all along yeah
1: how about the theatre I mean you can practice that stuff but how about the theatre you brought to the game how, was that just, did that just come naturally
7: yeah I always thought us uh, as players was entertainers you know I, I thought we had to go out to entertain and I loved it I absolutely loved playing the game I loved everything about it um, so I like, I suppose, I I, I like to be a bit of a showman. I, I I thought when I had the ball in my hand, nothing was going to happen until I let the ball go. So I liked being in control, and that was something I used to do with the batsman. So he would sit there, and I'd have to, you know, I'd like to make him tap down the bat more times than he wanted because I'd make him wait. <laughs> so I, I like to have that ball in my hand and say, you know what? Nothing happens till I let go of the ball, mate, and I'm in control. So that was a, a tactic that I liked. But then if we got wickets and oh there's something happening here and the batsman hit it in the middle of the bat just to annoy him you know it was just to do stuff like that to annoy him rather than for any other reason so yeah I like that battle that camaraderie just the banter and all that I absolutely loved it the game
1: is taking to so many different places is there is there like a pinch yourself moment for you
7: I mean I've been so lucky and I'm so grateful for all those opportunities and interesting people we've met you know best friends with Chris Martin from Coldplay I've got to know Ed Sheeran and Elton John and Mick Jagger and Michael Jordan, all these sort of guys and met them and hung with them a bit. But it's, oh, I've been so lucky. And I'm not just trying to name drop that, but it's just been amazing. The interest of the people that have been cricket, I suppose the impact I had on the game and what Australia have had on the game has been, yeah, it's been surreal. I think the, I think one of my favourite moments, or if not my favourite moments still though, was when I walked out in the Sydney cricket ground for my first ever test match and I looked up on the scoreboard and it said, congratulations Shane Warne, you're the 350th test cricketer play for Australia. I remember walking out to bat thinking, that's not very many people. How do you think of all of the history of the game and how long it had been going for? To only have 300-odd players playing Test Creek for Australia. I felt they could never take it away from me, I'd never take away you know, one test, whether I played one, two, or never played again. I, I, I still got that opportunity, and um, I'm forever grateful for that. There's been some stuff that's happened off the field during your playing yep. days.
1: So when you went out there and played, did it feel like a bit of a sanctuary for you that you could
7: escape it all and just do your thing out there in the middle? Um, a lot of the stuff off the field I bought onto myself. And so I let a lot of people down. And I was disappointed about that. Um, and a lot of things I thought was a bit unfair too that happened and off the field, but it always seemed to happen to me. Um, so I do take responsibility for the things that were my fault. But when I got out in the ground, I always felt like, well, that part of my life off the field is not going great. Um, I'm not going to let this part of the of my life not be great this is going to be great when I'm on the field yeah. so it wasn't so much my sanctuary or anything like that it was more or less you know I'm not going to let people down when I get on the field I'm not going to I'm going to enjoy this off the field not that enjoyable at the moment but this is enjoyable out here and um, I always felt like I gave it my best every single time and sometimes it was good enough other times it wasn't all right, last one, proudest achievement. I, th- I think I'm very proud of the way I played the game. I think anyone that looked at me realised I never, ever gave up, no matter what. I think I ended- I'd like to think that people, when I was bowling, the game was interesting. People were entertained. Um, so I'm really proud of the way I played the game. Um, very lucky to play with a great group of guys for a long period of time. Um, the numbers and the stats and all that are great, but... I think it was more or less, I always look at people, the way they play the game, do I like the way they play the game? And I think people, if they looked at me um, and watched me play the game, they said, we missed the game, I wish he was still playing, and that makes me feel pretty good.
1: I do have one more for you. One thing that's been brought up is uh, your diet, Shane. <laughs> Where has the lack of adventure come from? Because
7: for everything I've heard, it's uh, very carb heavy, a lot of spaghetti bolognese, <laughs> a lot of pizzas. Uh, all I can say my diet is basically I, I I like roast pork and crackling and all that sort of stuff but I prefer and I choose pizza um, party pies sausage rolls hot chips lasagna spag bowl, nachos all those beautiful healthy stuff just if you're in doubt think of kids menu oh, you yeah. got me yeah <laughs> <laughs> well
1: fantastic mate thanks for coming on and no worries. happy birthday
7: thanks Sammy cheers Thank you.